0: So how do you scale your funnels and your information products using paid ads? Well, I just had an amazing conversation with Todd Brown, and we're going to bring him in in a second. And it went in a very different direction than I thought it was going to go in. We started talking about the math, the data, the numbers, but more specifically, we got into this really intricate conversation about the life of an entrepreneur and whether you should scale your business to begin with. And I got very open and honest about some of the things I'm doing and why I actually chose to go backwards this year and reverse scale. So really interesting conversation. And what we're going to do is I'm going to kick it off with a killer story, a really amazing story that gave me goosebumps. And when I was even telling it, it has to do with Todd Brown. And I'm going to tell him for the first time live on this podcast. All right. But before I do that, remember, go to learn Expert.com, L U R N E X P E R T.com, to join our amazing community of experts where we have amazing content, newsletters, we have a free course coming out. So make sure you head on over there, join us if you want to learn how to become an information marketer. But for now, let's bring Todd Brown on, have this amazing episode, and I'm going to start with this killer story. And here we have Mr. Todd Brown himself. Todd, I promised you I was going to start by telling a a really cool, fun story I've never had a chance to tell you, Um, and I was actually waiting for the podcast to tell you this story. All right, so true story, okay? I am in Japan. This is a few years ago. Um, I am disconnected, Todd. I promised my wife no work, no nothing. We're in Japan having a blast. Just arrived, took a train to Kyoto, so I've not even been in Japan now for maybe 12 hours, and... I checked my email on the train because I was bored. And there's these emails from you. I've been watching your email series. You were launching a product. Now I am a marketer. And I would tell you very difficult to market to me. Like I see all the, the tricks and all the things. And I'm getting all worked up about this thing because Todd's launching a program that's right up my alley. The timing couldn't be more perfect. I want this. It's the traffic model for Agora. Right, how they run all their media buying, and I'm like, oh, I need this, I, I must have it. Now, the thing is, the darn package is coming out at this weird time, because I'm in Japan. It's gonna be this weird hour. I felt for my customers, by the way. And I was like, I understand their problem now. Um, and he's hyped, that I guess it's gonna sell out. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my God. Like, I'm going crazy. I'm like, this is totally working on me. I'm messaging him directly, because I'm friends on Facebook. I'm like, you gotta save me something. I'm not gonna be up at night. So he promised me, he's like, you're fine make sure you get one but I stayed up anyways it was like three in the morning I'm waiting <laughs> like I, I got my order in and I that was great went through the rest of the trip honest to my wife about not working get home I'm like looking for this thing right so that the the thing comes in I I am watching it actually we were gonna go to India like a couple of weeks later so I'm watching it all the whole flight I'm watching it in India when we're traveling around in in, in the car here's the irony so I love the course it was great but I I I remember thinking to myself when I watched it, I was like, this is too much work. I don't wanna do any of this. I was like, I got my my skill set, what I'm really good at is hiring. I'm good at team building. That's what I've always been great at. And I was like, I just gotta hire someone from Agora i so will just do this. Right. And I never really specified who. I was like, I gotta find someone who just knows this really well. Well, you're gonna laugh at this because literally a year and a half later, I ended up hiring Thomas Cameron as my director of acquisition. So the guy teaching, isn't that funny? The guy teaching in there. And here's the crazy part, I didn't remember. So I hired him, he, he comes on, he's been an amazing part of my team, I love working with Thomas. And it was like months later, we're working together and I was like, oh yeah, you were talking about Todd, you We're talking about you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Todd, Todd totally sold me, I bought this program. And he's looking at me all weird, and he's like, "You know, it was me on there teaching, right?" And I was like, Sh- no shit!" I was like, "You look familiar." <laughs> I heard you. It's just crazy, man. The the subconscious and the strength of the subconscious and the things that we can do with it is just so powerful. Listen, it's such an honor to have you on, Todd. Um,
1: Wait, on Todd, let me um, let me say this real real quick, man. So I think yeah. you know the way you even approach that, man, is what makes you such a great entrepreneur, and I think that there's a lesson in in the way that you approached it for everybody right i think that for whatever reason in this wacky online world this online marketing world this online marketing community we're constantly kind of trained to think that we need to learn and implement learn and implement and like so that everything falls on our shoulders and i think that the way that you approached it thinking about like Look, this isn't my skill set. My skill set is team building, hiring, building—you know, bringing on amazing people. I think that that's what makes a great entrepreneur versus just a technician who's really good at marketing. The reality—I've said this—I say this often today. I wish I really realized this years ago, man. I believe a great entrepreneur will always be a great marketer because a great entrepreneur knows how to build a great marketing team. And so, kudos to you, brother. Um. And again, this doesn't go to what we're talking about in the podcast, everyone,
0: so just to bear with us, but um, I was in ninth grade. I still remember this history class, and I don't remember much from my high school years, but this made a big impression on me, and I think this defined this part of me as an entrepreneur. Uh, ninth grade, history class, we're learning about Henry Ford and the creation of Ford and everything, and their teacher tells a story, which till this day is debated whether it's true or not, but the story left a big mark on me. And he tells a story about how Henry Ford was called out by this reporter to be a complete idiot. And he doesn't know anything. And the reporter said, tell you what, come to my office, ask me anything you want and I'll have an answer, anything. And so the reporter comes and asks him a technical question. He hits a buzzer, gets an engineer in there, gives him the answer. The, the reporter's like, this is not what, this doesn't count. And he's like, of course it does. You wanted an answer? I got you an answer. Why does it have to come from my head? And he tells his story and as a ninth grader, I wasn't an entrepreneur at that point. I thought at that point, I thought I'm gonna be a doctor. And I remember thinking, holy crap, that's brilliant. Like that for me was a, and I still remember that moment. I remember where I was sitting. I visually remember that moment. It was that deep of an impact on me until this day. It's been like, I don't, I do not wanna be the smartest one in my conference room when we have a meeting. I do not wanna be the smartest one. I would like to be the most resourceful one. but I do not want to be the smartest one. And I think that that has carried me and, and I still continue to feel like I can get better at it. But um, but yeah, thank you for that. And awesome. it gave us an opportunity. Awesome. So, so Todd, I have, you know, I think we've met maybe once or twice. Um, I've definitely not met you nearly enough. I have admired you and respected you from a distance. You've done some amazing stuff and it's very rare in our industry that you have someone, um, I like to think that that's, I fall into that category, but it's like very rare that you have someone like, I don't think I've ever heard a bad thing about you, right? I'm never, there there isn't anyone that's been like, Todd Brown, he's a total, you know, and that's hard, man, in our industry, like to have that. And to me, that says a lot, but I've learned so much from you. One of the very few emails I read, one of the few marketers that can hype me up to stay up until 3 a.m. after a full 24 hour flight experience. So I wanna learn from you today. And and, you know, one of the things we were talking about before we started recording was kind of how, you're the guy that people go to once they've got something up and running. Now on this podcast, we spent a lot of time talking about how to get an information product up. You know, how to get something, how to get your first sales. So for everyone who's listening, here's what happens once you've got that up. Because if you think that that's the solution to your problems, you got your first 10 sales, I'm sorry to tell you, your problems just began. Because you'll be more confused sometimes after you get those first few sales than you were before that. Because now you're like, well, what do I do now? How do I scale this? How do I grow this? So, Todd, I'm going to turn it over to you. That, like, when someone comes to you and says, "Oh, I got this great product, great, great thing converting, it's selling, but I want to take this to a seven, eight-figure business." And by the way, remember, everybody, when I say stuff like seven, eight figures, it's Todd and I talking. We've got tremendous experience, so we're going to talk in big numbers. But just remember everything, you know, you're just getting started. You can't emulate the numbers that we give, but I still want you to learn from it. So I want to talk about it. So Todd, yeah. I mean, what do you say? Where do you start, man? I I don't know where like start talking and I'm sure I'll probe more questions
1: yeah sure so it it really first and foremost on and by the way man total honor to be here uh the the feeling is mutual uh i've admired your work from afar for many many years i think that you're you're an amazing marketer you're an amazing entrepreneur and i wouldn't say i don't say anything that i don't mean and so uh i love watching you do your thing because it comes from a place of authenticity and it's awesome to see that being said so let me answer the question so it really begins with. Mindset. And what I mean by mindset in this context is that, look, first and foremost, right, this business, this business of, uh, you know, direct response. And when I say business, I just mean a business powered by direct response marketing, which is the type of marketing that that we do. Uh, it's all about psychology, communication and arithmetic, right? Psychology. Let's just go through this real quick. Psychology, psychology of what or who psychology of the prospect, understanding the prospect, their problem, their wants, their desires, right? What they see as a great solution, all that stuff. Then it's communication, right? Knowing what it is that we know about the prospect psychology. Then what do we say to show them that we've got the best solution for their wants, their needs right now? But then it is the the third thing and this third thing, the arithmetic math is the thing that most people really don't fully understand uh, and, and grasp. When I say math in this context, I want to give kind of a, an analogy, if you will. I'm not talking about this is a numbers game, like the more traffic you get, the more sales you'll make, the more sales you make, the more money you'll make. Of course, that's that's a given. But in this context, what I'm really talking about when it comes to arithmetic is that Uh, and this is the first thing that i teach that that i teach clients is that we are really as entrepreneurs investors we're we are investors and we are investing in the acquisition of assets now when i say investing in this context i'm going to primarily talk about paid ads online ads youtube ads facebook ads that sort of thing So we are investors that are investing in the acquisition of assets. There are assets like a a stock trader, like a real estate investor, happen to be our customers, our clients, our subscribers. Those assets have a value the day that we acquire them that value is typically referred to as average order value which is the average amount of money that a new client spends with you the day that they become a client right it's the average amount of money that that a a buyer spends when they go through your entire campaign right if you have a campaign and let's say you have things like a bump and upsells and downsells and whatnot well we know that some percentage are going to take the core offer and the bump some are going to take the core offer the bump and the upsell some are only going to take the 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 uh you know one upsell blah 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 there's an average Amount of money that a buyer spends, that average amount, that average order value or AOV is the value of the asset the day that we acquire it. Then, like any other asset, there is a cost to acquire that asset, right? That's the money that we invest into paid in traffic. And then, of course, it gets divided, right? We have visitors. If you're lead generating, you got leads. There's a cost per lead. And there's ultimately a cost per buyer. It's typically referred to as CPA or cost per action. The easiest way to think about this is day zero, if you will, the day that a buyer becomes a buyer, there's a value of that asset and there's a cost to acquire that asset. And then there's one additional number and that is future value. Sometimes people talk about lifetime value, but really the way to look at it is, okay, so now you own this asset, you have this asset. Well, what is that asset then worth 30 days from now? And what is that asset worth 60 days from now? And what is that asset worth 90 days from now? Now, for new people just starting out, they're not gonna know that right now. That's a number, that future value is a number, is a metric that they'll understand over time the longer that they are in business. They'll know, and as they roll out more products or more offers, right, that number should should grow. So look, let's take a step back. There's a value to the asset, day zero. There's a cost to acquire that asset. And then there is the future value of that asset. Well, the reality, Anik, is that we are just investors. The game of customer acquisition, the game of growing your customer database is just a game of investing. It's understanding what is the asset worth today? What is it going to cost me to acquire the asset? And what is the future asset and uh, the future value of that asset? And based on those numbers, we're then able to make decisions about what we're willing to invest see and this is very different from the way that the typical online marketer is taught to operate the typical online marketer is constantly thinking about what i call performance-based metrics sales conversion rate order form completion rate the upsell take rate all of those numbers and those numbers are valuable when we're looking at a campaign and we want to understand what's working in the campaign what's working well in the campaign what's underperforming in the campaign But the reality is, is that we're not in the business of merely impacting sales conversion rate or upsell take rate. We're in the business of acquiring assets and making a good investing decision on those assets. And so over time, right over time, as you get better as an entrepreneur, your listeners get better as an entrepreneur in increasing the value of your assets. What that means is that we can then afford to invest more. To get those assets and when we can afford to get pay more to get those assets the game becomes easier for us becomes an easier game in other words right so like look the, the, let me let me kind of try to give a specific example so let's say hypothetically that when we get a new buyer that new buyer is worth on average 50 bucks Maybe some people are worth forty. Maybe some people are worth sixty. But the average, and with when it comes to the arithmetic, the metrics of direct response, we work with averages, right? And so let's say the average is fifty dollars. Now let's say that um, let's say that thirty days from now that asset's going to go on to spend another fifty just say, hypothetically, could be 150, could be 20, could be 10, whatever. But let's just keep it simple and say, right, that 30 days from now, that asset is going to spend another 50, meaning the 30 day value of that asset is now hundred dollars. Well, so now when we look at what are we willing to invest to acquire this asset, what most entrepreneurs, what most marketers do is they say, well, the asset's worth 50 bucks to me the day that I get it. So I wanna spend 25 to get the asset, right? I'm only willing to spend 25 or I want to spend the least amount that I possibly can to get that asset. If I could spend 20 to get that asset, great, right? But when you think like an investor and you realize that just 30 days from now that that asset on average is worth a hundred bucks, well, maybe you'd be willing to invest 50 to get the asset, right? Maybe you'd be willing to invest 50, meaning the day that they become a buyer, you make zero profit. You make zero profit the day that they become a buyer because they're worth 50 and you're willing to invest 50 to get them. Why would you do that? Because 30 days later, you know, they're going to spend another 50 and maybe 30 days after that, you know, that they're they're going to spend another 30 or whatever it is. And so, see, the game is not this like the game is not a transactional game when it comes to scaling. Right. The, the game is one of investing and the reality on it. And then I'm going to I'm going to be quiet and, and you fire away if there's a question uh, that you want or, or something you want me to unpack. But the reality is, is that early on when I first got started, I thought the whole game was to invest or spend the least amount that I possibly could to get a buyer. But what I learned over time is that the most successful entrepreneurs and companies that are powered by direct response, view it in the complete opposite direction they are looking to be able to invest the most amount possible to acquire a buyer because right. The game becomes infinitely easier. You know, imagine somebody listening right now, imagine if you can afford to spend $250 to get a single new customer, if you could afford because of what they're worth the day that they become a buyer because of what they spend with you in 30 days and 60 days and 90 days and six months and nine months, You could afford to spend $250 to get a buyer. Well, the game becomes infinitely easier than the entrepreneurs that can only spend $25 or $50 or $60 to get a buyer. You can pay a lot more per visitor. You can use the most expensive sources of traffic. You could also have much lower converting campaigns that are still allowing you to acquire uh, are, are uh, customers at you know 250 or, or less, the game just becomes infinitely easier. And this is why it's been said that he or she who can invest the most to acquire a buyer will win all the time, all else being equal. And so that's the very first thing that I try to get clients and students to really understand is that at the root, man, when it comes to scaling, it is a game of investing. It's not a game of, right? Like it's not a game of sales conversion rate. You know, it's not a game of sales conversion rate. there. It's not uncommon to see front end campaigns, these low ticket, low, low, low barrier of entry campaigns. And there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not against them, but it's not uncommon to see campaigns that convert at 8%, 9%, 10% and they're losing money like crazy. And then there's campaigns that can convert at one and a half percent and they're making money like crazy. And so it's not enough to look at sales conversion rate. You really have to look at what's the value of the asset today. What am I spending to acquire that asset today? What is the future value of that asset?
0: Does that make sense, man? No, it it makes perfect sense. And for me, it was a big aha. I remember when this moment happened for me a a few years ago. I don't remember who I was talking to, but someone said to me, actually, I think it was um, Fernando, Fernando Cruz at, at Legacy at that time. And... I remember him saying something like, we'll invest six months of ROI to acquire a customer. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, we'll spend $300 to acquire a customer that's $50 today. And I just fell off my chair. I'm like, where's the other 250 come from? He's like, six months. He's like, we we built a business. And I remember thinking, I, I didn't ask many questions, but I remember the first thought that came to my mind was, well, no wonder you're dominating you're going to kill every other advertiser because you're going to outbid them and you're going to get all the ad inventory. If I'm an affiliate and you're going to pay me 300 the other guys pay me 150 for the same work, I'm coming to you. If I'm Facebook, if I'm Google, I'm going to give you all the ad inventory because you're going to bid up that inventory as high as you can. And they have the math down to a science. And I will tell anyone who's listening, if you haven't done enough sales, it is actually uncanny once you've had a little bit of a volume of sales and you decide and and your systems show that your average cart value is $56 i am telling you that if you map that out over the course of time it just it stays at 56 unless you make some instrumental changes right like i've been amazed at if i have an upsell converting at 17% after you know, a good sizable amount of sales, it just stays at 17% unless I make changes. So that data is actually pretty scientific. You can actually start to make some pretty big decisions. I think a lot of people, what I have found from students I've coached something similar with on Todd is they don't believe the data enough to lean in on it. And so they get nervous, like, well, what if my that number drops? And I'm like, well, statistically speaking, it actually doesn't just randomly drop. Something had
1: to have happened. So for me it was not and, so and me, that's the that's a, the key that's really the key like on uh, right that you know without getting into the nerdy nerdy stuff i mean you know look the bigger the sample size like the more traffic the more buyers you get over time like you said The more statistically reliable the data is so if we looked at a campaign that you know we sent 60 people you know 60 visitors into a into a campaign and you know whatever we got three buyers or something like that from that campaign and two of them bought the upsell right well that's not a statistically valid sample size to bank on it meaning that the next three buyers that you get nobody might buy the the upsell there's no reliability to that to that data But the beauty is, is that over time, as the sample size gets bigger and you drive more people in there, like you said, and you're you're absolutely spot on, the data becomes statistically reliable. In other words, unless some sort of black swan, unless you change something in there or some black swan event occurs, the likelihood is that it's going to stay within a relative range of that in this example of that 17%. So look, I, I would tell everybody that the folks that are early on in their journey like look the folks that are early on in their journey uh, the reality is is that if they don't have a back end yet in other words if they don't have a you know anything to sell to produce a second transaction or a third transaction or a fourth transaction yet well it's a different game than right it's a different game because y- the reality is is that if you want to generate any profit then you have to be profitable on the acquisition a- of that asset but it's important to know that by trying to be profitable on the acquisition of the asset, you are putting yourself at a disadvantage because let's say the the asset again is worth $56. And let's say you're just starting out and you don't have a back end. So the only thing that you have to sell right now is what it is that you're selling in this campaign that's producing that $56 average order value. Well, in that case, if you want to generate you know, some sort of profit, well, then you need to acquire that buyer for some number less than 56. But when you're going up against an entrepreneur who's got a deep back end and they do have multiple things to sell to that buyer, well, you're at a disadvantage because that entrepreneur could say, I'm willing to spend 80 or 90 or I'm willing to, I'm willing to wait six months before I get to break even. There are some, um, some, they call them affiliates or divisions of Agora that are willing to go 12 months before they break even. Because they know that, right, they know that over time, once they hit that that 12 month, they know they're going to start banking profit. And they also know, like you said, and you were absolutely spot on that when you can outspend and outbid your competitors, it's game over, you know, it's game over. And that the other point that I really want to make, too, is that, you know, there are there are a lot of um, there are a lot of great marketers in this, you know, in this online marketing world and there are some campaigns that you look at that have been running for you know a, a significant amount of time acquiring buyers with paid traffic and the marketing isn't all that good and i know that the conversion rate cuz i know like i know what the conversion rate is cuz i work with most of these guys the conversion rate isn't all that isn't all that great so how are they able to run the campaign for so long they're able to run the campaign for so long because of, of their ability to turn a new asset into an asset worth 10x. And so for them to sell something for 50 bucks and spend 150 bucks to get the buyer, it's a no-brainer for them. Right? It's a it's a no-brainer for them. Uh, now look, let me just say a couple of other things. Number one, you gotta have the numbers. The numbers have to be accurate. So this is why tracking and metrics are so critical. You have to you have to have proper tracking in place. You have to have accurate numbers or else you're making decisions based on inaccurate data. The other thing that we didn't talk about is that so the the question then becomes, well, okay, so so Todd, let's say I do let's say I am acquiring buyers. And each buyer, on average, is worth fifty-six bucks the day that they become a buyer. And let's say I do; I have a back end, and I have a bunch of other offers that I that I present. And let's say over the next six months, the average buyer is worth five hundred, right? Um, so, and I'm just throwing out numbers to keep it simple. So then the question is always goes to, well, all right. So then, how much should I be willing to invest to get a buyer? And you can't answer that number. With just looking at what the value is on day zero, what the cost is on day zero, and and the future value, because you've got to consider two additional uh, metrics, if you will. The first one is um, is what is your cash flow? How much cash do you have? Right? Because if we if we're if we're going negative, which is how it's what 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 it's called. If we're going negative, a hundred bucks a buyer. And we're not recouping that for thirty days, let's just say. Well, you better know how much money you have in the bank because if you're acquiring hypothetically a thousand buyers a day, you're going to run out of money very quickly, right? Like so you have to know you have to know how much money do you have that you can float, and what kind of scale are you operating at? If you're operating at if you just want fifty buyers a week, right? If you just want 50 buyers a week, well, going negative $100 is a different ball game than if you're acquiring a thousand buyers a week. And so you need to know cash and you need to know, right. Um, the volume of, of buyers that you're ultimately what your, what your target is really where you're at right now and where you want your target over time. This is not a game that you just flick a switch. All of a sudden you're like, yeah, let's go negative $300. Let's go to, let's not break even until we're at month six. It's a process but it starts by recognizing that this is so much more a game of investing than is marketing performance because at the end of the day right i really on, i don't care what the sales conversion rate is i don't care what the upsell take rate is i don't care what the bump offer take rate is if i know that hypothetically i am i am breaking even on the acquisition of a buyer meaning a a, a buyer's worth 50, it cost me 50, cool. A buyer is worth 100, it cost me 100, cool. Both of those are break even. Buyer is worth 200 on the day that they become a buyer, I spend 200 to get the buyer, cool. I'm acquiring buyers for free, regardless of what the sales conversion rate is, the upsell take rate is, the bump offer take rate, All of those numbers, those performance numbers are numbers that we use to look at how the campaign is working, where the constraint is, what we need to work on to improve results. But once I am acquiring buyers for free, break even, it's game over. Like I do, I am no longer, I don't care about the marketing performance side of things.
0: I love it. Can you, you know? You hit on something that was so smart. I want to go back to it because I want to tell people you cannot just go whoop and turn it on. And, and because I did it, I've done this. I went from, you know, doing about 10 million a year to 33 plus in two years. Last was like 18 months, and it was really, really hard. Because we did it through paid acquisition. And I'm again saying everyone, it was really hard. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it was really hard. Because a couple of things happened. Number one, with the increase in acquisition of customers, you're gonna have an increase also in your team size. You wanna make sure you're delivering to said customers, operational processes, are your processes right? Do you have the right team members? Do you have the right management in place? You're gonna stress test that team. And that that in itself can be pretty stressful and it can be expensive depending on who you need to hire and how you hire them. The second piece of that is exactly the burn rate. If your CFO does not fully understand what you're doing and notice how, for us we had a CFO, super blessed, my finance team, um, Because what they see is, you know, he was tracking something and he was like, well, our media spend is 20% of our, our, you know, whatever, budget or something. And all of a sudden, one month it goes, he's like, hey guys, FYI, it was 25%. Something's going on. We're like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, next month it's like 30%. Hello? Just getting ridiculous. Next month, 33%. Is anyone listening to me? And we're like, I know, dude, we are. But. I understand why profit margins start to get thin 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 and if anyone's looking the untrained eye looking at that or the very trained eye right cuz CFOs are not media buyers by any means they're not direct marketers so all he's seeing is my profit margins are getting thinner we're not making profit we're hiring why is this crazy marketer still so excited about what he's seeing cuz i was saying we're just we're going to turn that loop but we also had a war chest ready we built it up over years to attack said problem. And yeah, we started to you, you start to see it. There's a cycle and all of a sudden that list, you've you've acquired the customer, they start to go through that, they start to buy the other stuff. And but what's funny is yeah, your margins are going up, but then you're spending more. <laughs> so the margins kind of stay there until you get to a place where you're like, that's our spend. Like we've got the market that we want. And then you got to give it a few more months and all of a sudden your margins will start to go up. So the scale game, one of the funny things, my lessons coming out of that was I now, I don't know if it's me becoming more mature and wiser because now I'm a father or if it's just like me having gone through that entrepreneurial cycle. Like the first thing I tell a lot of entrepreneurs is not every business is meant to hit the moon. What is the right size for this business? And that's determined by your profitability requirements, your lifestyle. But, Yeah, you can take it to the moon and it could be the most stressful thing you ever do and you could implode. You could scale it so much it just blows up into smithereens. And people will look at me and go, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, yeah, it wouldn't have made sense to me five years ago as well. But now I kind of get it's it's not just the money. There's a human element with the team. There's a human element with the customers. There's human element of you. Do you have enough people in your life to handle that? Or you're gonna handle all of it because then you'll implode.
1: So I, I kind of felt like that was an felt like that well was said, an man. Word. Like you you're well said. I could I couldn't agree with you more. I think that it's so important and that's what makes you such a great, you know, advocate for your people and resource for your people, man. Um I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that look, and you know i i think and and i wish i understood this earlier on you know I, I think too many people in in our kind of space in the online marketing world they also get way too caught up in top line and they're trying to break these records with right like revenue 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 and the reality is is that you know the profit is the is the thing man profit is the money that you take home profit is what you you keep and so if you're you're just you're just constantly trying to grow the top line and you're not paying attention to how that's impacting the bottom line then my gosh it could you know like you could get to a point where you know it used to take you you know out of, it, it, it used to be able to generate 50 cents and out of every 50 cents you know 10 cents would hit the bottom line and now you got to generate a dollar just to get the same 10 cents to the bottom line and you could get to a point where and then you got to generate a dollar 50 just to get the same 10 cents at the bottom line and for me you know after being in you know doing this for a number of years i i just you know had this realization like well, well why bother then what's the value in all that hard work that you talked about if you're if you're making less and less and less and less and so You know, I I think that you're spot on, man. Not every business is Uh meant to go to the moon. Not every entrepreneur is meant to go to the moon and that's okay. Uh You can still do amazing things. Like, I mean, my gosh, in the info product course creation world, you can do amazing things without having to go to an astronomical um, business top line wise or even bottom line wise for that matter. I uh, personally speaking is funny. This year has been interesting because
0: now again, I keep repeating and I joke because someone, when I did this, A few months ago, someone on my team said, does this have anything to do with you just having had a daughter? And I was like, consciously, no. Subconsciously, the timing is too uncanny. I'm pretty sure it has some impact. But I went to my team and I was like, all right, we're going to cut revenue by 60 to 70 percent. Like, I'm sorry, what did you say? I'm like, we're going to literally go backwards because can we grow? Can we become a 100 million a year company? Yep. I know how to do it. Absolutely, we just figured it out. I got the whole model down, I spent the last three years figuring out how to do it, and I'm here telling you, I don't wanna. I don't wanna do it. It doesn't, The I would rather take that energy and invest it somewhere else, whether it be a different business, but I found my sweet spot. I know when I love this business. I know when I love my customers. I know what that number is, because that number backtracks to the team size backtracks to other liabilities and stress factors, backtracks into the number of customers. Because I would gotten to a point where I was like, I don't know my customers, I had no idea who they were. I wasn't talking to them directly. There was six layers of management between me and them. And I actually really do love our customers. I love talking to them, I love helping them. So I actually went and specifically said, we're gonna downsize this business. That doesn't mean I'm downsizing myself as an entrepreneur. No, it just frees up time to do other things if I want. But also, all of a sudden, yeah, it became important to me that I'm home every day by five o'clock, because I have that I have the first two hours of the day and I have the last two hours of the day to play with my daughter, and I want that to be what I do. And you know what? When I have a team of 110 people, I don't get to
1: leave the office before seven thirty, because there's just all needs. Yeah, and that's what. And again, you know what, Anik? And again, you know. Well, I I think that that's what makes you a great entrepreneur, you know, the, you know, look, the realization of um, creating something or on the course to create something that I realize now is not going to give me the lifestyle that I that I want and being able to course correct and change that to me. That's what makes a great entrepreneur. So, you know, bigger isn't always better. You know, like it it depends on the entrepreneur. It depends on the entrepreneur's skill sets. It depends on the entrepreneur's vision and dream. And the beauty of what it is that we get to do is we get to engineer the type of business that supports whatever lifestyle we want. And for each individual person, that's something different. And so I don't don't think that smaller is worse and bigger is better. I think they're different and they serve different purposes. And so I've also, for what it's worth, Over the years, I regularly will purge like I'll regularly look at stuff and say we got a little too bloated in this arena, in this team, in this division and with these products and cut because uh i want something efficient and effective uh and so i'm not looking for just more for more sake and so i think that that's also a great lesson for everybody man
0: i mean and and everyone this isn't where we were gonna be talking about today but i think it's led to a really organic interesting conversation because i'm personally been through it and i and i cannot stress more what todd said i really believe in bigger is not always better and if you had told me again as a younger entrepreneur five or ten years ago i'd laugh you in the face and say well, that's just because you're weak. That's what I would have said. Flat out, I said it's because you're weak. And I'm here on the other side saying, no, it's because you're wise. That's all it is. It's it's not an ego thing. Some businesses, like okay, a prime example. In in the information business world, let's just face it, in the end, you are the product because it's your information. And so if you're gonna try to delegate yourself, you're just setting up for a problem. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. And that's going to create so much stress where it's like, and and I tried to do that, right? With Learn, we became a publishing company. We published amazing people. I loved them to death. But the more I did that, the more it started becoming commodity. It started becoming like, let's sell more courses. It's like, whoa, what did I just say? that's not why I got into this business. Let's sell more backend programs. Well, what is the backend program? Why do you call it a backend program? We never called it that, right? It's like, we used to call it by its name. Like, which one are we talking about? And I started having all these weird conversations where I was like, ah, this is not going in a good place. Like this isn't, there is no way that I could be doing my customers the best I can. I never did harm to anyone, but it's like no way I could be doing the best I can for them if I'm referring to this as a backend program, you know? So to me, it was like, personal choice. Now, does that mean that someone else can't take a publishing company and blow it up? No, there's lots of publishing companies I'm aware of that do 100, 200, 300, 400 million a year. Just wasn't but my heart wasn't in it. It wasn't going to wasn't going to flow. And I think that that takes so much kahunas for an entrepreneur to be like, "Hey, this is what I want." Um, I have a I have a friend of mine who lives in India. He's like a little brother to me and I mean, I remember having a conversation with him uh, I told him, "He's the smartest kid I know." I was like, "You are brilliant." I don't know why You're not like bigger. And he looks at me with the simplest thing. And he's like, cause I don't want to work as hard as you. And I was like, but you could have this, this, this. And he's like, and all I want to do is watch TV and watch YouTube and hang out with my wife. I just want to chill. I'm like, never understood it. Now I'm like, Hey man, Talk to me a little bit more about that lifestyle that you live. Like I'm, um, But with paid traffic, what I do want to tell everybody is that uh, the more you increase it, right? If it, it is a numbers game, but the more you increase it, just remember it's a numbers game. So you, you, things have to rise, like all things rise. So It's not like you're just going to increase your ad spend and you're going to make a boatload of more money, but other things will go up as well, which isn't a bad thing. It's a great thing. I mean, you. It, it, I like what you said, Todd. We We live in a world where we can, it's so cool. How many businesses can you just kind of like, <laughs> whatever you want. Like, I want to yank it up. I want to turn it down now. Like this year I said, Oh, we want to go backwards next year. Maybe we want to go forward. Like it's, there's not many businesses you can do that
1: in. I mean, this is like, I mean, it's no, like it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. it really is truly, it's, it's an incredible business. I mean, I love, I started in the info publishing, you know, kind of course creation world. And I, I I don't think there's a better business on the planet because of what you just said i mean you can scale it as fast as you want as slow as you want as much as you want you can turn it on turn it back um it's just a beautiful thing and and i think that you know i just want to echo again what it is that you said i think you know you need to really be emotionally honest with yourself as an entrepreneur In that, like, what do I really want and put ego aside, like put the ego aside of, you know, it's you hear, you know, you hear there are a lot of people that do a lot of things and they're thrilled with those things. That doesn't mean that you need to do those things. You you need to be emotionally honest with yourself and build what you what you really want, and you also have to recognize, like you did, it, which I think takes a tremendous amount of you know of maturity and wisdom. That there are times when you may pivot what you wanted five years ago, or three years ago, or two years ago may no longer be what it is that you want now, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. we get to paint, and, and you know we get to determine our own journey, man. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I think I haven't been more comfortable
0: with that than ever before. Um, so Todd, walk us a little. We talked about what you you know aggressive acquisition um, and and we talked about this. What is the E5 method? You're very well known for that. Um, talk us at a really high level of what it is, and then please do tell people where they could go to learn more about you know your training and more about what you do.
1: Yeah, so the the, the high level view of E5 is it is a system for engineering a customer acquisition message. What I mean by that is it's not about a specific funnel. I mentioned to you before we started that I'm, I'm very kind of funnel model agnostic. So I don't, you know, VSL webinar, long form sales letter, you know, they all work in, um, in a variety of uh, uh, environments. Um, but it is a process for putting together a customer acquisition message that demonstrates to the coldest of prospects what makes your methodology your process your system your approach your framework unique and superior to every other option and it is very much um, education based marketing so it's not i was never i've never been a good salesperson i never liked you know selling. Fortunately, I'm a pretty good marketer, and so marketing done right uh, naturally sets up the sale. And marketing done right, I, you know, there are a lot of different ways to do it. I would certainly say in this context, the E5 way, it takes a prospect from, uh, it, it turns a prospect's desire for a result into demand for your product before you ever even talk about the product. And it does it with, what we call education-based marketing, or EBM content. And so the E5 method is the five stages that we go through to be able to um, engineer that type of campaign from, you know, it starts with, Examining or researching prospects, competitors, and the product so that we understand what to say, what not to say, how to properly position the the product, the offer. It goes into engineering things like the big marketing idea, the unique mechanism, all these things that we don't even need to get into now. We have a process for taking that new campaign and then rolling it out as a minimum viable campaign to get those base level metrics, the numbers back. Um, and, and then we enhance the campaign and then we expand the reach of the campaign. And so E five is just my process for putting together campaigns that, uh, that acquire buyers, but do it differently than the typical kind of just pitch, 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 you know, pitch, um, approach. And so did that somewhat answer the question at least a little bit, where can people go to learn more about it? Where can people go to watch some
0: more of your training and follow what you do?
1: What you do. Yeah um so you go you could go on um you can find me on Instagram at todd brown t o d d b r o w n uh you can go and i i believe there is um, e5 nation i think it is on Facebook it's a free group that we have and then, for those people that really want to learn a little bit more about the, um, the E5 method, there's a book. You can see it on, on the back um, shelf there. I believe that the team has it up for eight bucks or nine bucks, a physical book. It's about 300 pages. I believe that you can get that at E5. So it's the number five, the letter E5bundle.com. Awesome. Um, Everyone, I highly, highly, highly
0: recommend taking as much of Todd's training as you possibly can. Even if you're just getting started, these are things that really get you thinking. They get you thinking about your customer acquisition process, your message, your story, how you're going to sell. And I love what he said, without the pitch, 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 which is what you see most of the time. And that's, that's actually the easy thing to do it that way. But if you step back and do it a different way, it makes your pitching a lot less and you actually build quite a tribe of people that you can rely on whether there's a recession or not. Tribes will continue to buy from you. So uh, Todd, it has been such an honor and thank you for being here with us and joining us on this podcast. I hope everyone goes and follows you. And um, yeah, just really, I personally will continue taking all your training. Thank you for all you do for the industry. It's been absolutely amazing um, spending this last 30 minutes
1: with you. Yeah, ditto, man. Maybe next time, right? Next time I come back and I would love to interview you. And I would love to interview you for your people and really kind of, uh, I mean, you do a tremendous job of sharing your, your, your wisdom, your experience. You're so personable man always, but uh, I would really love to understand more about the man um, behind learn really what, really drove you to to be the guy that you are today what are the the things that really impacted you and so maybe we'll get that on the schedule i'll come on your podcast and interview you (laughs) that'd be
0: great yeah i'd love that sounds fun awesome well um hang tight for a second because we're gonna take a picture for the uh, thumbnail but for everyone else who's watching come on click subscribe right now if you're on youtube leave a comment and uh, click like and if you're listening to any other uh, if you're listening to us on any other platform please make sure you subscribe and leave us a great review this is Onyx onyxingal reminding you when life pushes you stand straight smile and push it the heck back we'll talk to you on the next one bye guys
1: thanks for listening to the fighting entrepreneur with your host onyxingal